You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 27, covering The Ultimate Computer, Bread and Circuses, and Assignment Earth, with special guest Mark Bosco. Hello, people. We have another guest here with us this week. Hi, Bob. Say hello to the folks. Hello, folks. We are actually at the end of season two, believe it or not. Yeah, so I'm pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, we're just blowing right through these, and uh, mm-hmm. Bob's here to help us uh, close. <laughs> Maybe the we shouldn't now, have because so. now we got season three on the horizon. <laughs> so. Well, but the nice thing is we've we've promised uh, Gavin Bob both uh, at least uh, one episode per season. So by doing that, we're we're rushing through it a lot quicker. Indeed. I'm so with your help. Yeah, you 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 picked one of the more absurd ones out of season three, didn't you? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Although I I don't think you're going to be Gav's choice. I'm afraid to say. <laughs> uh, but we'll get to that in a few weeks. Uh, yeah. For now, we actually get a what I think is a really nice mix of episodes. A uh, little little bit of everything. A little like a nice sampler platter of Star Trek. Uh, and it starts with the ultimate computer, which was mine. Um, so the Enterprise welcomes Dr. Richard Daystrom, the future namesake of an institute, and I think some kind of prize, but I can't be bothered to look that up right now. Daystrom was a boy genius who revolutionized computing technology, and now in his 50s is trying to one-up himself. He's created the M5 computer, which essentially replaces all but a few essential humans aboard a starship. Naturally, Starfleet felt it entirely appropriate to place this untested equipment in control of the most powerful ship they have. Oh, but don't worry. They'll just be engaging in war games. War games never hurt anyone. Just ask Matthew Broderick. Well, unless, of course, the computer suddenly can't tell the difference between simulation and actual war, like in that Matthew Broderick movie. But what are the odds of that? Actually, that's not what happens. The M5 actually starts murdering people to protect itself. It totally knows the difference between reality and simulation, so that's a relief. Uh, it turns out that Daystrom, so desperate for another hit of that drug called scientific fame, bent a rule or two in its creation, like all good Federation scientists. He infused the M5's memory circuits with echoes of his own psyche, which, on the one hand, is kind of cool in that he's passed along something of himself to his electronic child. But on the other hand, humans, particularly humans under the kind of strain and self-loathing that Daystrom is under, are fallible. So, oddly enough, the lesson we're meant to take away from this is not actually that humans are better than machines, though a case is made for this argument, but that machines would work a lot better if they didn't have bits of human floating about in them. (laughs) After the M5 kills something like 50 crewmen aboard the other ships in the War Games exercises, the Enterprise crew realize that they have the ultimate computer killer aboard. Kirk's time to shine. (laughs) M5 blows up, Daystrom's dreams are shattered, and everything's back to normal. Except for those 50 corpses, which we're all really broken up about. Honest. (laughs) (laughs) Where there'll be no triple at all. (laughs) (laughs) This actually was one of my favorite. Like, I remembered it being good, but I didn't remember it being this good. Yeah. This, this may go in, like, my top ten. I really enjoyed this episode. Very good stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it was damn, damn good. And it's it essentially, like, apart from the effect shots, it, it, a bottle episode. Like, it was, we were on the standing sets of the ship, and that was it. Yep. How but, how awesome was Daystrom, first of all? He was. The guy that got to play him had a fantastic voice and just a real presence, like, a, mm-hmm. a good dignity. Like, you bought him as kind of a genius, sort of eccentric mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really cool that he was a uh, like he was an Af- African American scientist, you know, in the 1960s. Yeah, that's that's true. We always like to point out when the show tried to be a little progressive, and he was definitely, you know, it, it was definitely a bit of a surprise on this show to see a black guy so, you know, in such mm-hmm. a prominent role. Mm-hmm. Considering yep. Uhura once again gets 
three lines. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that with my episode. And, oh, and he had this but... really great purple and orange jumpsuit that made him look like he was part of the Joker's gang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He he also towered above everyone else. Oh my god, he was like fifty feet tall. Yeah, which <laughs> which was great because you know typically a scientist, you know, well they're brains, they're not brawn, so they're you know yeah. little guys. But I mean, you know, obviously, like the law of averages says, some you know sometimes scientists are going to be big hulking giants. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it was it, hilarious. It actually gave him this really sort of weird body language. Like he spends most of the uh, most of the episode kind of slouched over. Yeah. And doing, like, weird things with his hands. He's got these tiny pockets in his jumpsuit that he keeps using. Yeah. No, he was he was good. And, and not just, like you say, not just verbally. He had a lot of uh, a lot of good just body acting and that mm. kind of thing. I, yeah. I really bought that the, the, this just, you know, tore him apart. Either mm-hmm. that or he was bending over because he was afraid he was going to hit the ceiling. <laughs> that <laughs> was a little of issue. that. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, the, the, the ceiling of the Enterprise is domed, but, you know... If he hits his head, he might uh, he might end up in space. So, uh, <laughs> now I, think... I am in space, Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> never had it, never will. <laughs> the encore. <now. laughs> yeah, I don't know what the guy's actual accent is, but uh, it did put us all in mind of those Seven Up commercials from the eighties. <laughs> Something vaguely Caribbean. Yeah, or or some kind of African derivation, like some mm-hmm. you know, some kind of place where they they learned English, but there's there's still a, a hint of an accent there. And, yeah, uh, I I just I love it. And, in any and, case, I could listen to him talk all day. Absolutely. Um, one of the really I I thought standout things was uh, we're all watching the the restored versions, and I mm. think to date this these are the most impressive effects they've done so far. Oh, it was so awesome. We got we got the Enterprise and four other uh, Constitution class ships in the exercises, and just you see them firing phases at each other. You see them maneuvering, mm-hmm. just really good stuff. One of, one of yeah. my favorite things about DS Nine has always been, you know, just watching the ships all fly around and stuff. You know, and yeah. well, you, seeing some of that here is just really cool. Well, the thing is, we all kind of grew up on like Next Gen, which they had. And, and Bob, you know more about uh, TV production than, than we do, so definitely correct me. You know, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But they they had like uh, standing models, so I mean they they were very limited in the way they could move. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't show you like a sweep behind the ship, or you know, they couldn't really give you that impression of 3D mm-hmm. that that CG gives you, where you can go underneath and and show it from you know weird angles and stuff. I mean, yeah, it was a lot harder. You know, they hadn't built yeah. the kind of computer control systems that they had built when they did the models for next gen things like that. Mm-hmm. So. so I what what I hope, and I don't, I have read nothing about this, but I hope one day they go back and give next gen this treatment because oh, if, be awesome. if I'm not mistaken, that show was also shot on film. So mm-hmm. yep. So hopefully one day they can clean those up for Blu-ray, and uh, I would love to see like the uh, the Enterprise D and like maybe some of the Klingon ships and stuff like that. Should be oh. Yeah, I've looked I've looked into that. And actually, they they shot on film, but they edited and did the effects on video, so they would have to redo all of the effects from scratch if they wanted oh, to God. do an HD version. So mm. it might be a little bit more expensive undertaking than the original series. Well, well plus mean, plus the plus one hundred and seventy-eight episodes. episodes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but on the other hand, fingers crossed. I, I would mm. think my guess would be that more people would buy that. Like we have sold a handful of people here and there on this show from what we do. Yeah. And taking that as sort of a sample group, I realized few people who even say they like Star Trek actually watch the original series. Mm. Yeah. Most people mm. are waiting for next gen. Yeah. So yeah. 
I would hopefully if they do that, you know, they'll <laughs> they'll make their money back. So. Except mm. for my daughter who loves the original series and hates all the others. That's so strange. <laughs> I mean, we Bob, I think you and I knew people like that because we're at that age where people a few years older than us were like, you know, new crew, no. Yeah. <laughs> yep. By the time Matt was, you know, around and watching Star Trek, he was like, no, this is definitely right. But we remember those guys who just refused, like, uh, you're not going to replace Captain Kirk. <laughs> Apparently the Penguin was a big fan of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, Commodore Schmidt. A, ba- a bald captain. <laughs> <laughs> there was, um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of Shatner uh, scenery chewing in this episode. This the... And, and most of that's in the writing, I gotta say. And I, I don't, I don't dislike it, but there's definitely a bit where he's a bit of a drama queen mm-hmm. when he thinks, "Oh, I'm gonna be replaced by a computer. I guess I'm just useless now." And <laughs> got this long, ridiculous, dramatic speech in his quarters. And he borrowed a moping off. Yeah, he borrows a Spock's Vulcan harp to go uh... <laughs> <laughs> write a song about how sad he is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Now he's getting drunk with bones and just talking about. I don't remember what the word was, but there's a there's a term for like. A use like a piece of useless equipment oh, that he yeah. compares himself to, and just like really, dude, this is one test once, and you, you can—that's your reaction. Yep. Mm-hmm. A little disappointing there, but yeah. uh, I'm sad. But not out of character. I mean, I you know, you get the feeling that this is everything to Kirk, and if there's any slight threat that he might lose it, he just goes nuts, and mm-hmm. yep. you know, it didn't feel like sloppy writing to me. Also, he just doesn't like that his ship suddenly doesn't have a lady voice. <laughs> I think he likes to think of his ship as a woman and giving that woman a brain. Just uh, yeah, <laughs> not his type anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's a cheap shot, but is it inaccurate? No, it's per- that's perfectly acceptable for Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, uh, Spock seemed uh, very intrigued by the computer. Oh yeah, there were, or at least, there were, there or at least the... uh, McCoy thought he was. <laughs> there were the occasional jabs that they expected him to hook up with the computer. I guess I don't know. <laughs> So finally, anyway, was... finally, the right computer came along. <laughs> Should we leave you two alone? Uh, what do you think? I mean, Bones, I get that you don't know Vulcan physiology, but what do you think they do? I, I assume I always, they're not. I just assumed your penis was a plug. Is that wrong? <laughs> just find Doctor, the right you're... I.O. port. And... <laughs> Doctor, it's all you USB, are not al- right? You are not allowed to operate on me anymore. <laughs> Send up uh, Dr. Mbenga. <laughs> Benga. I, I do. Um, we've we've talked about this a bit before, but I think it, it merits uh, continued mention that Scotty is becoming more the engineer character that we kind of remember him as from the movies. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. There's he's very uncomfortable with them coming aboard and installing the M5, like fucking with his engines and screwing. You know, like he's got everything just so, and that just feels right to me. It feels totally the way Scotty should be. Mm-hmm. That that higher-ups are coming in and trying to mess with his setup. Leave it alone. <laughs> Got it all right. What are you doing? Get that out of here. <laughs> I just I, um, had the place set up the way I like. What do you do? No, I just put that carpet down. <laughs> Don't change the desktop setting. Ah, the wallpaper's different. Why aren't all the mouses on left-handed now? <laughs> There's pictures of kittens everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, those can stay. <laughs> Who doesn't like a kitten? <laughs> <laughs> I um James Doohan actually did the voice of the M5 which he's a good voice actor like he's good for when you need like a booming commanding voice or mm-hmm. something like that and they use him a lot but Scotty actually interacted with himself and I just I didn't think it really worked for me a computer mm-hmm. yes Scotty <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> he, he didn't make it quite different enough, or maybe they could have done a little effect on his voice or yeah. something, but it just didn't quite work for me. Oh, and of course, this was the episode where Matt uh, figured out that Kirk doesn't need a conference room, that all the meetings actually take place on the turbo lift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I just re- – every time Picard wanted people to t- – wanted to talk to his people privately, he they'd, they'd have to go for a meeting in his ready room. Kirk mm-hmm. just gets on the elevator. Yeah, this is this is true. And and going forward, like in the next two episodes, Bob and I were like, hey, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's an important conversation happening in the elevator. Mm-hmm. Good point. And, you know, narratively it makes sense because you, you have to get the characters from point A to point B and you might as yep. well get your exposition out of the way. But it's much funnier to think that he just, in the same way that Fonzie thinks of the bathroom as his office, <laughs> Kirk thinks of the elevator as his conference room. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, really, really good character stuff. Like really mm-hmm. good. I felt bad for uh, for Daystrom. I felt bad for Kirk. Like it, it was some good tension without really having a bad guy exactly. Like yeah, good two people with valid points. One of them's gone a little crazy, but you know, mm-hmm. just a uh, solid conflict. I thought Jimmy's had a complete nervous breakdown. Oh, thank you, Doctor. <laughs> uh, but that, I mean, that's that's really it as far as I'm concerned. You guys mm-hmm. got any any additional? Stuff on that one? Or are you yep. ready to press on? All right. Ever forward. Very well. Matt? All right. So I had uh, bread and circuses because we've yeah. ta- – because we, uh, as you may have noticed, we've already ta- tackled Gangster Planet, American Planet, and – God, what was the other one? Nazi Planet. Nazi Planet. So Still now we to have, go, Cowboy Planet. So now yes. we have Rome Planet. Yes. All right. Enterprise discovers the wreckage of the missing starship, the SS Regal Beagle, in orbit around the imaginatively named Planet 4. Kirk, Spock, and Bones beam down and meet with a rogue group of sun worshippers wearing t-shirts featuring Andrew Ryan's great chain. Sun worshippers are on the run from the police for their beliefs in peace and other hippie crap. At the sun worshippers' camp, Kirk flips through a copy of Life magazine he finds lying around and discovers that in a startling turn of events that no one has ever seen before, uh, that Planet 4 is just like Earth. Uh, except that it's Romany. Not in the sense that it contains gypsies, but in the sense that it contains Romans <laughs> from Roman times. Uh, he also sees an advertisement for a pretty sweet rocket car, a solid gold house, and an article on, Muric- on Maricus, first citizen of Rome and official guy, who also looks like the captain of the Regal Beagle. Kirk tells the Sun Worshippers that they're looking for Beagle survivors, and they offer to lead the, par- the landing party into the city, where they are promptly arrested. They meet with Maricus and the proconsul of the Empire, I, Claudius Marcus, a pudgy jagoff in a shiny shirt. (laughs) Maricus explains that he was indeed the captain of the Beagle. The ship was wrecked six years ago, and the crew was forced to beam down and fight in the arena. Uh, Kirk is told that he and his crew are going to have to do the same, and Maricus threatens to kill Spock and Bones if he doesn't. So Kirk doesn't, and Spock and Bones are forced to fight in the arena. Uh, Spock kicks some serious ass, but Bones is severely outmatched, being, of course, a doctor and not anything else. Spock saves his life, and the two are returned to their cell. Kirk is to be executed publicly the next day, and I, Claudius, grants him a whore, realizing exactly what a man like Kirk would want to do with his last night on Earth, uh, <laughs> Planet 4. Kirk bangs her, and then goes off to be executed. Scotty, monitoring the broadcast from the Enterprise, catches a commercial for Kirk's execution, and disrupts the signal, cancelling it. Kirk, Bones, and Spock escape, and I, Claudius, stabs Maricus to death for some reason. Back on the Enterprise, Spock mentions how strange it is that a cult would worship the sun when the Romans themselves didn't. Uhura, desperate for something to do this episode, pipes up, saying that the sun, S-U-N, they were worshipping, was actually the sun, S-O-N, of God, Jesus Christ. And then I threw up. Keep your religion out of my science fiction, Roddenberry, and I will keep my atheism out of your boring metaphors. 
<laughs> yes, very nice. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. yeah, when the when the credits came up and it said uh, written by Gene Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn, we're like, well, at least we got maybe, one good Gene. Might yeah, be, might be half good. Yeah. Well, and there were there were a couple of good scenes. I don't want to I don't want to step on uh, Matt's quote, but there was one particularly good scene yeah. that deserves uh, mention. Uh, but yeah, it, I just thought it was a mess. I mean, it was a Roman planet, but they have machine guns and TV. I mean, I know it's supposed to be what if Rome survived to the 20th century, but they just don't try very hard to make it work. No, it's like, what if the 20th century happened, but there was some Roman stuff? Yeah. yeah. It's like two prop closets collided. Yep. <laughs> Which is exactly what it was. They didn't want to clean up from America Planet. <laughs> or, or Gangster Planet, because they or were gangster machine planet. Oh, and there were, uh, it must have been just like the normal studio cameras, but one of them had a label slapped on the side that said Empire TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't we have that on Nazi Planet where everything had a, had a swastika slapped on? Nazi yeah, Fear uh, TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah, I mean, much like I would say Nazi Planet episode, much like the other one that Rod Murray wrote, this wasn't good, but it was still kind of fun and stupid. Yep. Like, I, I've said this before. At least if we're not going to watch a good episode, we need to watch one we can make fun of. And that definitely was the case here. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, it wasn't It was boring. It was just dumb. At least it's not boring. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, I, do you disagree there, Bob? I hear a... I, were you bored? I was bored a little, yeah. Oh, no. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, you know, you, you get the, the, the planet of the week sort of thing going on, and we've had so many of these that it's... Oh, there's an amazing parallel development between Earth and this planet. How amazing that's amazing yeah. this is. <laughs> you know, Again. it's just I, like I, we've seen this twenty I'd times. Be, Why are they still amazed? I'd mind a lot less if they weren't like, you know, it was it's an episode and then another parallel development, just like Earth Planet. Well, I thought wasn't this one I and I admit sometimes I don't catch all the fine details because when we watch these we're making jokes. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't it um the the guy from as you called it the regal beagle <laughs> didn't he f- make it that way wasn't it another one of those or oh was did that he just what discover- happened i thought he just I, showed no. up there i thought no, because they I, were I already just... having arena fights when he showed up oh okay yeah. so it was already that way and he just kind of yeah yeah he in. just i was kind of assuming that when we started the episode i was assuming that because that's what happened on the nazi planet but Mm-mm. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, because on America Planet, they just happened to develop America exactly the same with the flag and the Constitution and everything. Yep. Coincidentally, the same. So, mm-hmm. I just don't. I really don't get why you can't write an episode with aliens that are similar to Rome, but not just call. Don't call attention to it. Like they did. They're Doc- called the Romulans. <laughs> Fair <laughs> point. But I mean, Doctor Who did a bit of that, where they would use old, like. You know, old sets and old props and old costumes, but they wouldn't just say, you know, we're on a planet just like the Romans. They would at least try. And I might be remembering this wrong. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's a couple of Doctor Who fans in the audience yelling at me right now. But <laughs> Well, they can start I, their own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, I would love for someone to sit down and review all 900 episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> I would listen to that. Please. <laughs> Irish Gav, I know you're a very, very lazy man, but uh, get on. That. if you ever want to do that, I'd listen. Uh, but really, I, I don't know. I just I think I understand the budget constraints. I I get that. But you can't be more creative with it. You can't write something a little more, you know, interesting. I don't know. It just it feels like this is the lazy go to. Like, really well, we got does. these Roman outfits. Why don't we just go to Roman planet? Yeah. It just seems like you could be more creative. Yeah. All. Yep. 
I don't know. I and just, of course, I wouldn't okay. mind so much if they just weren't all together. You know. Well, yeah, and that's we pointed cheap, that out. It really feels like cheap season. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I knew it's like they started running out of money at the end of the season. It's like, well, yeah. what do we have on hand? Well, I've got this Roman helmet. <laughs> let's do something. Let's put, on, let's put on a show. Yeah, but but I mean, then you look at like uh, the Ultimate Computer, which, like I said, was a bottle show. You, mm-hmm. you didn't have to have any new sets. All you, the only new costume was Daystrom's ridiculous jumpsuit. Yeah, and the and, and the bad guy was essentially a small box. Yeah, I mean that that must not have cost that much money. I mean, you know, maybe the effects. I don't know what the original effects look like, but mm. apart from that, you know, you're, you're shooting one guest star on existing sets, and that's it. So, I mean, there there are ways to be cost effective and still be creative and interesting. The thing I've noticed is when they focus on the characters, they can pull it off. Mm. When they try to get high concept with it, that's when it gets stupid. Right. But that's just me. I mean, maybe maybe there are episodes that like that that are good. But yeah, I knew th- I knew going in this that we're looking at uh, 78, 79 episodes, and there was Gangster Planet, there was Nazi Planet, there was Rome Planet. But I thought they were more spread out. I yeah. didn't realize they were all bunched up like this, and that's getting a little frustrating. In a, li- for us. In a like Earth cluster. Yeah. Yep. But what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, maybe the most lazy Kirk scores with an alien babe set up to date. <laughs> Here, have an alien babe. Cap- That's you it. and I are a lot alike, Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. And if I were about to die, I'd want to have sex first too. Well, I mean, you, you didn't I, even have to charm. Well, her. I can appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. And he, you know, you expect. Okay, well, no, he's going to be noble about it. No, nope. he's going to say no. I don't believe in slavery. And then he no, wakes I... up in bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, I mean, it's was the saxophone music playing? <laughs> <laughs> no trombone music. <laughs> when they beam down to this planet, I'm ninety percent sure they're at that same Gorn Rock location again, which Bob was pointing out was like, the Vasquez Rocks. Is that Vasquez what? Rocks, yeah. The, Gor- like the Gorn State, Rock State Park in California, I think. <laughs> Five minutes away from Burbank, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you obviously did a little uh, research to to find that. Do you know if if they really did shoot everything at that same spot or there. Well, any, anytime you see that, that angled rock kind of jutting mm-hmm. out, it's, it's all pretty much the same place. Maybe they shot well, the last, a lot of episodes there. The last couple of times I didn't see that one particular rock, but it seems like they shot from like a reverse angle, like maybe on that rock. Yeah. But it I, still seems like the same location. I also right. found out they were hiding in the bat cave. <laughs> really? Yep. Like the actual same place that they the shot. The actual bat cave. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I mean, yeah. uh, we saw um, Julie Newmar in an episode previously. I know next season we get to see uh, the chick who played Batgirl, whose name is oh, oh escaping God. me at that uh, moment. Yvonne Craig. Yvonne Thank Craig, you. yeah. She was green. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Oh, she's yeah. She's in the next episode? <laughs> no, no, no. She's in next season. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I, was, the, I was so excited. <laughs> that which survives Garth of Izar. Uh, she plays like uh, Harley Quinn to some guy's Joker. It's kind of Oh, cool. nice. Yeah. And, of course, a green girl, which Bob is all about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Vina's still my favorite, but she was pretty good, too. And the and the test footage of uh, of Major Barrett's nothing to sneeze at, either. No. You know, I, have, I haven't actually seen that. Really? Yeah. I'll, I'll try to dig that up. That's mm-hmm. uh, She's officially, like, not in canon, but, you know, officially the first Green Orion. Cause uh, I'll be in my bunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you don't. We got one more episode. <laughs> oh, <too. laughs> Uh, one one thing I wanted to point out, and and you guys may not remember this, I don't know why I do, but uh, the the Heaven's Gate cult from the mid '90s, the you know the crazy suicide cult with the black Nikes, mm-hmm. they had a, a crazy uh, leader uh, who called himself I think Doe, 
It was D-O. I don't know if it's Doe or Do. But uh, uh, Marshall Applewhite was his real name. I had to look that up. I didn't actually know that. But mm. there's a, the, the, the leader of the sun worshippers on this planet looked exactly like this guy. And uh, <laughs> you, you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a little, like... I'll put up a little uh, separated at birth picture on postatomichorror.com so you guys can see. But he looked a lot like this guy. It was creepy. <laughs> nice. And, you know, I wouldn't have actually minded the, uh, the, the the sun worshippers thing if Uhura hadn't just given a clumsy speech at the end. Mm-hmm. Let's bludgeon you over the head with this. Yeah. That was like a Spielberg it... move. <laughs> it really was. Slavery is bad, Bob. And also is war. <laughs> war is bad. <laughs> yeah. Um... But yeah, that just and and poor Uhura. <laughs> yeah, hasn't had anything like she to do. Gets so with little like to do. Five episodes. Was that yeah. her only line in this entire episode? This is my only line. <laughs> oh, I'll just show. <laughs> I don't up know for if some it's... exposition. I mean, she may have had a hailing frequencies open. You know, Starfleet wants you to respond. You know, one of those mm-hmm. things. But yeah, she hasn't had any character lines, and now she's like the Jesus expert. You know, <laughs> make the poor black woman the Jesus, of course. Yep. The Jesus freak. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, I'm just inventing things to be outraged about. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, not 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 a fun episode. No. Any, anything else on this one? Or are you guys ready to press on? I am nope. so ready. Okay, Bob. Bob will redeem us because <laughs> this one was not terrible. Excellent. I got assignment Earth. Where, uh, the Enterprise starts the episode already in the past, handily explained by them performing some sort of techno babble. The year 1968. Of course, they're there to. <laughs> when suddenly they intercept someone else's transporter beam. Why? It's the mysterious Gary Seven, distant relative of Falcon Seven, and his cat familiar Isis. Gary explains that he's there on orders from a secret race that's trying to help humans survive their own stupidity for the next century or so. But Kirk's having none of it. They toss him in the brig, but Gary simply takes out his sonic screwdriver, deactivates the force field, <laughs> orgasms the security guard to death, and escapes <laughs> to the planet below, Earth. Gary materializes inside a vault hidden behind a well-stocked bar in his office that slides closed behind him in 007 fashion. He tweaks another button and a huge computer pops out of the wall. After a verbal tussle with the computer, Gary finally gets it to tell him that the other agents that were assigned to Earth to stop the launch of a rocket carrying an orbital H-bomb platform are missing and have failed. Gary must finish the mission himself. Spock dons a jaunty Russian hat and joins Kirk to go down to the planet to find Gary with Scotty's help from above. Meanwhile, Secret Agent Secretary Terry Gar, in a tiny pink and orange dress, pops in, apologizes for being late, and then starts screaming to high heaven about something. Who knows? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Gary eventually calms her down and gets her on his side. When Spock and Kirk come into the office, Terry screams and flails again, delaying them enough so that Gary can get away and transport to the rocket. Gary uses his fake IDs and orgasmo pen to make it around the base of the rocket gantry and up to the control panel in the side of the rocket. Kirk and Spock, now in another dashing hat, follow him to the base, where they are promptly captured by one of the guards Gary put to sleep earlier. Meanwhile, meddling Terry discovers the hidden transporter vault in the office and accidentally transports Gary back just as he finishes fixing the rocket. Gary takes control and causes the third stage of the rocket to malfunction and the warhead to blow up in the upper atmosphere, spreading a radioactive cloud where it'll be no triple at all. <laughs> 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 Gotta say, I always approve of that ending, no matter what. 
One thing to point out here, um, a few of the things in your description sound like you were exaggerating for comedic effect, and you were not. No, no. There is an orgasmo ray. <laughs> You're not just saying that to be funny. Nope. He actually aimed this thing at guys. They would get this great smile on their face and just kind of pass yep. out. <laughs> or sit down by themselves in the corner. Yeah, and then we would uh, artfully pan away from them. Yeah. <laughs> No, this was this was fun. This was in a in a just kind of a, a wacky like uh, you know sixties uh, sci fi you know kind of mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this. It felt it felt very much like like uh, you know 007, very James Bond feel to the you know kind of in Goldfinger when he had the the whole room that transformed and things slid out and in and whatever you know it was like his right. apartment was kind of like that. It was definitely very sixties, like in a good way. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and if they're gonna go back in time for some reason, <laughs> as you said, to uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> at least you get the fun of the period. Mm-hmm. At least it's not we, uh, you know, once again, it's not because we have no budget this week. It, it felt like you really got a feel of 1968. Mm-hmm. Like you really got yeah. it was the the people dressed right and they talked right and it was it was just fun. It was a nice. And, and you got some nice fish out of water stuff with Kirk and Spock. Yep. It was you yeah. got yep. the awesomeness of, of Spock's hats. Oh God! <laughs> he had three different hats. He did. I really, I really thought that started, and I've said this before. I really thought that started in uh, Star Trek Four, mm-hmm. like when he put the the '80s headband on. But I guess that's a runner through the whole show. He puts on <laughs> crazy hats every time he has to hide his yep. ears. <laughs> And the last one was like one of those, you know, bucket hats that I love. Like, your grandfather used to wear fishing. That was an awesome fishing hat. I love yeah, my grandfather fishing hat. <laughs> it looked like a, I think uh, was Oscar the messy one on the on the, uh, the odd yes. couple. It looked like an Oscar Madison. <laughs> like I think he wore a hat like that. Exactly. All I know is that awesome. no matter where they go, they were known as the couple. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean. I guess this was supposed to be some kind of weird backdoor pilot thing, like they were setting yeah. up Gary Seven, yeah. the series, which never happened. But it, it was all right; it was still fun. Yeah, no, I like that character a lot. Yeah, he had yeah. a uh, yeah. he had a good look to him. I really liked Terry Gar and her weird yeah. ass. She dress was adorable thing. back then. Yeah, yeah. Which which apparently she she did not like. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently Gene Roddenberry. Apparently, Gene Roddenberry's yeah, vision was that it be it be raised a little higher. Right, <laughs> make her skirt as short, short as possible. <laughs> so it's like ever since then, Terry Gar has been like, I'm not going to even talk about Star Trek in any interview ever. Mm. Yeah, because you get a lot of you know the the one off actors who appeared in one episode who will gladly appear at a con mm. or give a statement for a book or something. And I, yeah, I guess she just want to be part of that party, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is which is a shame because she was actually good. And and it wasn't just that she was cute. Like there was there was some good comedy acting. There was some good sort of incredulous. Happening. Yeah, she was just mm-hmm. a good character. Like, yeah, and uh, I, I would have, you know, I might not have watched the the series Gary Seven and and his sidekick Terry Gar, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> as as guest stars, they were definitely one of the stronger. Yeah, like I, I wasn't it more weren't they more in this episode than Kirk and Spock? Yeah, like, I might be. Yeah, I might be wrong, but they were in it a mm-hmm. lot, and I, it didn't bore me at all. And pretty much whenever Kirk and Spock were on screen, they were like being captured or just kind of doing nothing mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> letting things happen around them. They, they spent they were, a they were, lot uh, of time being ca- uh, captured by NASA. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean that you know that happens in most episodes where they, as we have pointed out, where they go from one jail to another yep. and then back. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think to look in here. Yeah, but in this episode, it didn't bother me. It was it was put together pretty well, and it, usually when we cut away from Kirk and Spock and focus on the guest of the week, it's like, oh, who cares? No but th- these guys were yeah. fun. 
you know, we had we had 50 minutes with them and I still feel like I could do with a little more like to, you know it was yeah. fun yeah um I, I wasn't too crazy about the cat thing no though. that was weird <laughs> Bob did you uh, did you actually point that out in, in your I don't well, think you it was mentioned what happened with the, the cat again. the well apparently the the same woman voiced the the uh, Gary Seven's computer also mm-hmm. voiced the cat oh, right. so it was like meow. Human, <laughs> kind of <laughs> weird sound and then at the very end, uh, the Isis the cat uh, appears to Terry Gar as a woman in this sexy black cat woman outfit with the, you yeah. know, even like the cat ears on mm-hmm. a headband, like, you know, in the, <laughs> in the Batman series. Um, <laughs> and then when she looks back, she's a cat again. And it, apparently there was uh, in the original script, which was not even a Star Trek script at all. It was like kind of shoehorned in the Star Trek at the last minute. Mm. That it was, you know, just a pilot for the Scary Seven thing. That there were, like, more cats and they were evil and uh, <laughs> aliens that were trying to defeat Gary Seven. Mm. And I don't know, something got switched around. But it was this <laughs> very bizarre thing that it was, like, if that was going into a pilot, you know, to be to be a new series that, you know, might eventually make sense out of it. But as it was, it was like, what the hell? <laughs> Suddenly yeah. it's a woman and then it's a cat again and mm-hmm. we, no one ever says anything about it. Well, I mean, he carries this cat around with him everywhere and he talks to it and he, and the cat obviously seems smarter than the you know, average, the average cat. house cat. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he took his picnic basket. <laughs> Yeah, it could have just been the trained cat, or it could be like cats are a little different on his planet. They're smarter mm-hmm. or whatever, but no, right. apparently shapeshifter. I don't smarter know. Smarter than yeah. your human cats, of course, and more aggressive. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> it can has cheeseburger 20% more <laughs> But and, and did we ever get a final consensus? Like, we've we've all heard rumors and, and read bits and pieces here and there. Was this a proper ripoff of Doctor Who, or was it just a coincidence? I don't know. It seems like know. a Doctor Who ripoff, you know? I mean, he had what Bob called it correctly a sonic screwdriver. It did. Yeah, it was a multi-purpose tool that he carried. Mm-hmm. That you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's. You I mean, know, they called it something else, but it's. It seemed like you know that plus you know maybe Terry Gar is his companion. Yeah, right. And they, and I guess you know I, I'm not as familiar with the older Doctor Who stuff, but like it does seem that Doctor Who does kind of go around and fix problems with history every once in a while. So it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he had uh, uh, something very similar to the psychic paper also. Yeah. Where he just had an ID that whoever he showed it to, it said what it needed to say. I mean, I, you know, actually, I went back and looked at that, and he actually had three different IDs. Oh, oh he did. Was, okay. like, he printed out from the computer or something. Very well. But, so but, he but, didn't yeah, have a psychic paper. He was thing. just a forger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he definitely had a, it had a Doctor Who flavor to it, and I don't know, you know, if we if, officially, if we know... If they like, if someone had seen it and thought it was a good idea, or if it, maybe it was just a coincidence, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it seemed it, like, it seemed like an interesting concept, and I mean, even beside, I mean, I when I first saw it, I had never seen any of that Doctor Who stuff, and it seemed mm-hmm. interesting to me. But I mean, yeah. it, it could have gone on to be a cool, you know, series, or it could have gone on to be, you know, Voyagers with you know, <laughs> Fog and <laughs> hey, I, and Jeffrey Jones. I love Voyagers. <laughs> <laughs> Voyagers! Exclamation point! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, that was that show was terrible. I liked it because in 1982 we were, you know, six. So, or I guess eight. Yeah, whatever. I liked it then too. <laughs> yeah, did not age well. I, I actually got it on DVD. Not <laughs> anyway, um, but no. Apart from the fact that we actually have no idea why they're in the past at all. No. Yeah. I thought this was a pretty solid. Just episode. check for historical reasons. Just checking out the past. Mm-hmm. I I do like. 
that I mean, on the one hand, it was just like weird, like some okay, we're in 1968, whatever. Well, but yeah. on the other hand, I like that they just jumped into the action mm-hmm. and they didn't care, right? And it's it's like played off as like, oh, this is totally normal. We time travel all the time now due to this light speed breakaway factor. <laughs> well, <What>? they <laughs> didn't didn't they set that up at the end of uh, I think it was Naked Time where. It was like, now we know how to time travel. And then they never did anything with it. True. Again. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. So I guess they did this with now. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a weird callback to, like, you know, a season and a half ago. Mm. But still, I mean, you know, not a bad episode at all. A lot of, lot of fun. Um, I thought the, the, the stock footage blended a lot better for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. you, you really felt like they were in the city. They were at the, the launch site. Except, Except there was one shot of, the, uh, of Mission Control that just looked awful. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that that and Scotty apparently has a viewer in the engine room that only shows stock footage from NASA missions. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's watching the NASA Channel, obviously. <laughs> no, and Bob, again, you know, you have a you have a background in uh, in TV uh, production, and uh-huh. you were just saying that it was like a simple color correction thing. Like they could have made that footage look better, and they just didn't. Yeah, it seemed like it mostly. Mm. I mean, there was like it, there was a different quality to the lighting just because it was like you know when they cut to the stock footage of, of the guys in mission control it was like you know horrible fluorescent lights and stuff but you right. still think they could have made it match a little bit better mm-hmm. but. yeah it looked like it was just from a whole different show yeah and it seems like there are techniques that could make it fit better yep but overall i mean we're, we're picking at small things it, this was a fun episode it really was it was i enjoyed there, it a lot. The, there's a great moment when uh when gary's trying to uh disable the rockets he's splayed out on this girder at the very top mm-hmm. of the rocket, there is smoke spraying out of the rocket into his face, and his cat's crawling right. all over him. I just thought it was hysterical. <laughs> yeah, and when I was watching that, I was kind of breaking it down in my mind, and I realized that, the, you know, it's a very cleverly framed shot, because all it is is, you know, the beam and the smoke. Yeah. Like, there's no set there. <laughs> but it, but we really felt bad for him up there. Like, they did a good job of, of you know, of, of uh, convincing us that he was up there in danger and trying to, you know... Trying to fix yeah. that, like that was that was some good uh, again cheap. And there was, I noticed there was like more, a few more handheld shots than usual in this show. That you know, especially there was like a shot from really like inside the compartment he was working. Oh on back yeah, at Gary Seven poking his hand in, and it was just stuff like that made mm. it feel a little more real too. Do you think they did that to to maybe make you think you were in like contemporary times, whereas the you know the space stuff is maybe a little more static and like the you know. When you're down in real life in 1968, like it's mm-hmm. kind of more, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, more realistic. Yeah, with that handheld look. Yeah, I think. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, that, that, you think that was a deliberate choice, is what I'm saying. Like, like they were trying to make you feel more like you were. I would like to think so, <laughs> and not just accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> now the tripod broke. We tried to hold it still. But, you know. <laughs> no, I think so. I mean, there were enough of those shots in here that I think it was it was a deliberate choice. Yeah. That's cool. Um, apparently, there are some novels uh, where we follow the further adventures of Gary Seven and mm. whatever Terry Gar's name is. I keep forgetting. Roberta. Roberta. Um, thank you. Um, Roberta Lincoln. Oh, right. Because right. Gary Seven had a secretary named Lincoln. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Kennedy had a secretary named Kerr. Uh, and Lincoln had a secretary named Gary Seven. Right. <laughs> it, all, it all comes full circle. <laughs> conspiracy um no apparently they've had further adventures where they defeat uh khan nuni and singh in the eugenics war mm-hmm. really? and, you know i like expanded adventures i like that they take these guys that have potential and give them more adventures but really they defeat khan i think that's that's a bit that's nothing in the assignment not? in the assignment earth comic book they defeat nixon well that's okay <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> 
that I have no problem with. But <laughs> I'm a big Nixon mark. I think we all know that. <laughs> anyway, not exactly the best choice for a for a sort of season two finale, but I don't really think they thought in terms of finales back then. No. I think this was just the last episode that aired that year. Yeah. But, uh, you know, certainly not. It's not like they're going out on the Apple or something. Mm. So. Thank God for that. Sure. Which still, now that we're two-thirds of the way through the series, I think we're still ready to call the worst episode we've done so yeah. far. <laughs> so bad. No, this was this was a lot of fun. And like I said, we uh, this week we got a really good mix of a really good, solid psychological one, kind of a dopey parallel Earth one, and then just a, a fun time travel one. Like, it was a really good mix of all the things Star Trek does well and maybe not so well. Mm. Yep, definitely. I Really enjoyed that. All right. Anything else about this one? Or are you ready to wrap oh, the, up? Oh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, there's mm-hmm. there's a moment when uh, they when they capture Gary Seven on the ship early on, and, and uh, he's Spock is sitting in the in the like the meeting room holding the gat and stroking it. <laughs> Kirk asks <laughs> him about like... it. He's like, I, I find myself strangely drawn to it. What a lovely animal, Captain. <laughs> so so Spock doesn't actually want to have sex with the computer. Yeah. No. Dot dot dot. Who is, a good he has... is it you? You are the good kitty. <laughs> <laughs> no and they did when the cat was up there they just kind of let it run yep. like it jumped in people's laps it was up on consoles it just seems like a contamination hazard yeah meow 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 please rise for the national anthem meow meow meow, meow, meow. <laughs> all right yep. uh done yeah, any, anything else or is it nope very well all right, for my episode, uh, in, uh, the future, in the future, purple jumpsuits with orange dickies underneath will be the height of fashion for the hulking scientist about space. <laughs> Matt? Uh, in, the future, in the future, the Rome planet will burn to the ground, but uh, the villain of the newest Star Trek movie will show up to play the fiddle. <laughs> Nicely done. Bob? In the future, in the future, in the future. sexy weird cats will save humanity from themselves. <laughs> All right. Uh, for me, for the quote of the episode, I, I actually went with more of a poignant one instead of a, a goofy one this time. Like, I, I usually try to go for the funny one-liner, but uh, Kirk had this great speech about becoming irrelevant and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so on the one hand, I include this because of that, but also because of Shatner's really bizarre read, <laughs> where I, I, really, I do take back every criticism of Shatner impressions I've ever made, because this has some of the strangest pauses, where he just suddenly decides to stop for a minute. And I didn't, I always thought that was an exaggeration, but he really does do that here. So, here we go. Do you know the one, all I ask is a tall ship? It's a line from a poem, a very old poem, isn't it? 20th century Earth. All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer by. You, you could feel the wind at your back in those days. The sounds of the sea beneath you and even if you take away the wind and the water it's still the same the ship is yours you can feel her and the stars are still there won't wow okay <laughs> bread and circuses uh, bread and circuses was awful but uh it has a great uh spock and bones moment in it spock I know we've uh, had our disagreements. Uh, maybe they're jokes. I don't know. As Jim says, we're not often sure ourselves sometimes. But uh, what I'm trying to say Doctor, is... Doctor, I'm seeking a means of escape. Will you please be brief? 
Well, what I'm trying to say is you saved my life in the arena. Yes, that's quite true. I'm trying to thank you, you pointed-eared hobgoblin. Oh, yes, you humans have that emotional need to express gratitude. You're welcome, I believe, is the correct response. However, Doctor, you must remember that I'm entirely motivated by logic. The loss of our ship's surgeon, whatever I may think of his relative skill, would mean a reduction in the efficiency of the Enterprise, and therefore... Why you're not afraid to die, Spock? You're more afraid of living. Each day you stay alive is just one more day you might slip and let your human half peek out. That's it, isn't it? And security. Why, you wouldn't know what to do with a genuine, warm, decent feeling. Actually, one of my favorite scenes between. I mean, I mean, we've said before we love scenes between those yeah. two, but this may be my favorite single scene between. It's just so mm-hmm. good. It's just weird seeing such a great moment in such a lame episode. Yeah, it, and that must have been what Gene Kuhn wrote. Yep. So there's that. And uh, Bob, you actually there, there were actually some good choices in this one, so this must have been a little difficult for you. Yeah, this I mean, the one I picked was wasn't necessarily the most poignant or or most historically important. <laughs> no, I, usually we just pick the funny ones. I mean, that's you know. I just I thought it was a really cute moment between Terry Gar alone in the office talking to a little glowing green cube on the desk, which was part of the hidden computer bank in the other room. All right, don't answer, but you can tell him I quit. Tell him I promise not to tell anybody anything. He's safe. And you're safe, my little green friend. Same to you. <laughs> she was she was just adorable. She was just I mean yeah. and, and not in a condescending, like, oh well, at least she's cute way. Like No, she she was great. Her character was fun and she was adorable. Indeed. Yep. Which is great. Well, that's it. That is that is season two in the can. Woohoo! Yep. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, on the one hand, woohoo. On the other hand, oh God, season three's coming. <laughs> hey, Matt, you know what the first episode of season three is? Yes. Do you uh. happen to know, Bob, off the top of your head? Uh, no. Without looking. What is it? What is it? Spock's brain. Oh, I love that episode. Do you really? I do. Oh, God. But you, you can't deny that it's awful. <laughs> It's yeah, I suppose. I mean, you could love it. I'm not. I'm not saying you know. You certainly. I don't. I don't are, think are entitled that it's to as, love a goofy one. I don't think that it's as bad as people make it out to be. I mean, just well, if we'll you look, be the judge of that. If you look at it from you know just kind of a sci-fi concept, it's kind of neat. But yeah, the image of uh, Spock strolling around without a brain. Well, yeah. I, I guess I'm with you there. No, it's it's fun in a. <laughs> I don't know. I guess uh, you know, we have to adjust our uh, our expectations for season three way. <laughs> like, it definitely is fun. It's just we're not going to see a lot of really heavy, well-pulled-off sci-fi stuff next season, I'm afraid. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the Tholian web, but uh, that's the only one I can think of. Wasn't the Enterprise incident this season, too? Oh, yeah, it was, with the unnamed female Romulan commander. <laughs> yes. Yes. Also, I love unnamed female Romulan commander. I do as well. She's great. Yes. <laughs> 
but that is our name. Like in yeah. uh, in all the fanfic that came like in the seventies and eighties before Next Gen came back, they just kept <laughs> referring to her as Romulan Commander. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Next week we will do our uh, our our summary with the puppets. So yep. So look forward that's to that. To look forward to. Uh, and then we're actually, I think that week uh, we will be uh, recording a supplemental episode where we answer your mail and such because. I can never quite find a good place to answer mail and talk about this sort of uh, off-the-wall stuff. Yeah. So I think we may so just uh, throw one out there for you there. Cool. Yeah. So if you've got, like, Trek questions or anything, please send them in. Yeah. And we'll uh, we'll do that, and then we will start in on Season 3. So, uh, mm-hmm. Bob, thank you, as always. Excellent. Uh, always a pleasure. I will and, see you uh, at Kirok! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to that. All right. Okay. That's all for us for this week. Bye-bye. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.